One of my favorite things at the beginning of the year is as a pastor, this is me as a pastor, this is not me as a person, uh, but as a pastor, one of the things that I love to do is to remind uh, this church what our mission is. I, I love to cover the mission of the church at the beginning of the year, and I love to cover the vision of the church halfway through the year. And so um, this morning, we're going to be looking at the mission of our church. You'll notice that I'm not wearing a collared shirt or button-down shirt. I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, Love and Be Loved, which if you want to know what our mission of our church is, if you want to break it down in the simplest of forms, it is the very words printed on my shirt, to love and be loved. And so the title of this message this morning, as well as the title of next week's message, will be Love and Be Loved. And we're going to spend time looking at what it means to love and be loved this morning. You'll notice um, there's a, in, in um, the bulletin, the insert, there are three different texts that we will be studying today. And um, if, you, if you have a Bible, that, that makes it more challenging um, for you to do that. But feel free to follow along. I'm going to be quoting texts throughout Scripture. So if you like to know what I'm reading, you can do so with your Bible. But with that being said, um, draw your attention to God's Word printed in your bulletin. The first text this morning comes from Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that is Jesus, the Pharisees gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And lastly, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Tomorrow is a big day in my household. Kimberly, I won't tell you how old she's turning, but Kimberly's having a birthday. It's just a very exciting thing. But coinciding with her birthday, even more important for Kimberly, is the fact that Alabama is playing for a national championship in football. I know, it's like every year, and it's... Um, Kimberly's joke is that we're a family of champions, and you just have to deal with that, okay? <laughs> you just have to deal with that. Now, I, I mentioned this because I, I, I want to draw your attention to the fact of this game. Not that this game's necessarily important. It bears little point in any sort of life other than just fun and entertainment. But what I find fascinating about any kind of athletic event, in particular national championship, is the camaraderie of those teams, the linking of arms to pursue one mission. And these teams, at the beginning of the year, when they got together for the first time as a team, they had one mission, to win this game. Not only to win this game, to play in this game, to win this game. And so tomorrow night, when they get ready uh, to, to play the game, and I, this, is, this is, if you watch football, like if you go to a game before, they literally, most teams will lock arms before the game in their pregame ritual, and they will walk the length of the field because we're pursuing one mission, and we're pursuing one mission together. And here it is. Tomorrow night is the night that Alabama's trying to win the national championship and Clemson's trying to win the national championship for another time. Now, 
They're not going through the motions, are they? No, they're very laser-focused. They know exactly what they have to do. They know why they're doing it. But I mentioned that because I want to ask a question. It is a rhetorical question. I'm not asking you to do it. But as a church, do we have laser-like focus for our mission? Like these teams that link arms together, do, they, do, do we understand that we have a mission, a common mission that we are pursuing together like this team? And we're going to discipline ourselves to see this mission accomplished like the football players have disciplined themselves time, day in and day out, hour after hour, minute after minute, second after second. If we, are we as a church going to dedicate ourselves like the football team is going to do that for issues that are more important? Or are we going to struggle going through the motions of church? Just showing up because this is what you do. Well, this is not what a church is meant to be. A, a church has a mission. A church has a purpose and has a focus. And if we are going to pursue the very purpose and mission that God has given his church, we need to link arms together like the football teams do. And to link arms together, we've got to come to a good understanding of what that mission is. What indeed is the mission of the church? Well, this morning there's three particular texts that I, I think are vitally important to understanding the mission of the church. I, I want you to know that the first passage of Scripture, Matthew 22, characterizes the great commandment that Jesus himself embraced. He says, the great commandment is this. You can see this in your text. Verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then in other verses, he says strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourselves. This is the great commandment that Jesus himself has embraced. It's followed then by Matthew 28, which Christians called the great commission. So the great commission is the very words that Jesus spoke to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven. It's kind of the great mission. Here is what you guys are to do. And you can see what he says there. He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And notice what he says. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, what did Jesus command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourselves. Then the third one, the third verse that I call the great comfort which follows the great commandment, the great commission, the great comfort, which is 1 John 4, 19. And this is Jesus' own disciples reflecting on Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. And in this, this uh, uh, what we call an epistle or a letter to the church, this is one, it's, it literally is one of the most profound verses in all the Bible. John writes this. We love because he first loved us. We love. We do the very thing that God has commanded because he has first loved us. I take the great commandment, the great commission, and the great comfort, and I boil it down into to one small little phrase as our church. Love and be loved. You want to know the mission of our church? It's to love and be loved. God himself has called us to this great calling, this great mission and I want us to link arms together under the banner of his very words, to love and be loved. 
If we're going to pursue the very things that is meaningful and significant, far more meaningful, far more significant than any silly football championship, then we must understand what it means to love and be loved. And that's what I want us to do today. We're going to break down what it means to love and to be loved. And I've had this in your bulletin. You can see it. I've already given you the two points. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to unpack what indeed it means But to love, what does it mean to love? Well, this week we're going to look at the love of God. And indeed, what does it mean to love God? And we're going to spend some time looking at what it means to be loved. But first, what does it mean to love God? Jesus himself said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and in other places, strength. You don't need some theologian or great teacher to kind of understand those words jesus himself is saying love god with your entire being with your heart with your soul with your mind be consumed with praise of god be consumed with understanding god but indeed what does it mean to love god you know, that's a great phrase, but what does it mean? And so I've got three ways, three helpful ways to really understand what it means to love God. What does it mean to love God? Well, the first thing I want us to know what it means to love God is to know God. To love God is to know God. Listen to Jesus' words in John 17, which is a prayer that he prayed to God the Father on the night he was betrayed. Here's just one phrase, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they know you. Knowledge of you and eternal life connected. I want to read what the prophet in Jeremiah 9 says. He says this. This this is what the Lord has said. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. To love God is to know God. Um, You might not know this, but our friend Ben, where is he? He's in the back. Got engaged this last weekend. Woo! Um... Now, this didn't happen overnight, as many of us know. Most engagements, especially in American circles, just don't happen. It's a process. And some of you are dating, and you know this process. You're in the process right now. But at the heart of the dating and the, and the becoming engaged and things like that, at the heart of this is this. Knowing the other person. That's it. You date the other person you hang out with the other person, you fight with the other person, you have experience with the other person. Why? So that you might know them. And in knowing them leads to loving them. And that's what Ben is in the process of doing. He said, you know what? I've gotten to know this girl and I love this girl. And I'm going to commit the rest of my life to her. You see, knowledge of God is deeply connected to the love of God. When we understand who God is, our hearts, our our minds, love the Lord with all your mind, is going to fall 
in love with God. So therefore, theology is not something for just these people in ivory castles. Theology is for everyone. Because to know God is to do theology, the study of God. And indeed, this is what we do as a church. As a church, we spend time learning about God, His attributes, His actions. You hear the Word of God preached before you week in and week out. You go to community groups and you hear the Word of God study, you, you, taught again. You, you, you spend time listening to the songs that are deeply rooted in the knowledge of God and we sing songs and we'll get into the worship of God in just a second. But we understand everything that we do is connected to the knowledge of God because knowledge of God is deeply rooted in the love of God. And therefore, our, our mission as a church is very much connected to knowledge of God because knowledge of God is deeply connected to the love of God. This is what we do. So first, the love of God can be seen in the knowledge of God. But secondly, the love of God can be seen in the worship of God. The worship. What is worship? I mean, largely understood, what is worship? Why in the world do we sing songs? And why in the world do we have these CBR journals? What is, it, what is this worship? Well, let me just give you a quick definition of what worship is. Worship is you ascribing or giving praise to something that you deem valuable. A really helpful phrase that this guy, N.T. Wright, said is this. You want to understand what worship is? It's like worth-ship. What is worth something to you? That indeed, whatever is worth something is the very thing that you praise and give glory. It's the same thing with the love of God. When we understand and we come to understand who God is, what he's done, his attributes, his actions, we cannot help but to say, you are worthy of praise. You are the one that deserves all the glory. You are the one we praise. And therefore, at this church, we spend time, we spend money, we think about worship. Not just on Sunday mornings, which is indeed a huge part of what we do, Praising God with music. And there's something beautiful about music that, that brings out the life and the emotions that we desperately need to kind of understand and wrap our minds around these, these beautiful theological truths. And music has a way of really getting it into our minds, but we do it also privately. We worship publicly and we worship privately. And some of you know and most of you know that we're making Prayer and um, spending time with God a priority, which is why we have those CBR journals in the back, because we want the worship of God to be prioritized in your own life. Every morning or every afternoon or every evening, what you're doing is you're taking time to worship God. Why? Because He's worthy of your worship. He is God, He is Savior. But the worship of something, indeed, especially the worship of God, is deeply connected to the love of God. So we know God, we worship God, and lastly, we obey God. Jesus says this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. When we understand who God is, who he is, has revealed himself to be from creation and from his word, one of the things that we're going to be done, our hearts are going to be so captured with who he is. We're going to say, to you be the glory and to you be the honor. 
I'm going to now listen to you, which is the very thing that we get, obedience. Obedience is deeply connected to the love of God. And, and perhaps let me use this, this imagery that, that you, so, so maybe you can kind of get your mind around how obedience is tied to the love of God. And, and what I'm going to use is my children. Now, my children don't always obey me. They just don't. And it's maddening. And for those of you that are parents, you know the maddening difficulties of the disobedience of your children. It's hard. But that doesn't mean that they don't always listen. Sometimes, most of the time, my children obey me. And you know why they obey me? Because they know me. I take care of them. I provide for them. I delight in them. And therefore, when I ask them to do whatever it might be, will you please do this? Some of the times, most of the times, they say, yeah, Daddy, I'll do exactly what you want. There's not, a, there's not this, like, I better not do it, or Daddy's. It's just simply obeying me out of delight. The love of God is deeply rooted in our obedience of Him. To love God is to obey God. To love God is to worship God. To love God is to know God. And we as a church seek to make this the heart of what we do. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's no greater calling in life. But I'm not a, I'm not a fool I'm not someone who doesn't have life experience behind me. I know the great challenges of loving God. I've woken up many morning not wanting to obey God. I've woken up many a days, most days, not worshiping God. I spend my time, a lot of my time, learning about a lot of other things than God. I don't make a lot of my life about loving God. And perhaps like me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If this is what we're called to do by Jesus himself, to love our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, well, that's certainly not me. I kind of do it, want to do it sometimes. This is kind of, but a lot of the times I don't. So we need help. And of course, this is where the great comfort of 1 John 4.19 comes. Remember I said the great commandment, the great commission, followed by the great comfort. And the great comfort is 1 John 4.19. And we must press in and see this because if we don't get this, we'll never pursue the love of God. We love because he first loved us. We love God because he first loved us. We desire to seek understanding and knowledge of our God because he first loved us. We worship God for who he is and for what he's done because he first loved us. We obey God. We follow after him and his will because he first loved us. The love of God is deeply connected to being loved by God. In fact, I always say this, and perhaps I've, I've said it and you've heard me say this before, but the greatest problem in the church today is not its ability to love. It's just not. The greatest problem in the church today is the willingness to be loved by God. And so, as our church, not only do we make love a huge priority, but we make being loved 
a major priority because being loved precedes loving. Being loved precedes loving. Well, how in the world are we loved? How do we even begin to understand this? Well, I've got two things. If you want to just jot them down and then we can just start talking. The first way that we are loved is we receive. We receive. The second way is we rest. We receive and we rest. First, what is it that we receive? Well, you've heard me say this before, perhaps, that love is a process of meeting needs. And to say that God has loved us, it is a simple way for me to say this. God has met our needs. Therefore, we receive the very things that God has met. Now, there are way too many needs that we have that we need of God to meet. But I just want to mention one, and it's the one I mention all the time. You are a sinner in need of God's grace. God is a holy and righteous God. He cannot be in the presence of sin or sinners. It's just not His nature If you're a student of the Bible, one of the things that has always captured me was when Moses stood before God on Mount Sinai. He goes, let me see your face. And God says, you can't see my face. If you saw my face, you would die because you are not holy. But of course, God put him in the cleft of the rock and he passed by him and he saw his back and Moses turned white. But here's the thing. We can't be in the presence of God. And yet we were made to be in the presence of God because we have a sin problem. And God in his grace and his mercy gave us a gift in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, taking on flesh, living the life, loving God, knowing God, worshiping God, obeying God all the days of his life, doing the things that we couldn't do so that we who couldn't do what we're supposed to do might have a right and good sacrifice on our behalf, which is exactly the purpose of the cross. Jesus dying for us, a perfect sacrifice for sinners like us who needed a perfect sacrifice. And this gift is given to us freely, graciously by God himself. For by grace you have been saved and it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, Paul says. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. The gift of Jesus is something to be received. To be loved, we must receive it. We must know our needs and allow those needs to be met. What keeps you from receiving the gift of God? It is always this, your own self. I can do it. I can manage it on my own. It's this self-sufficient salvation project that we all have. I can do it. No, you can't. Just try to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength for one day, and you'll know I can't do it. The gift is freely given to you. Will you receive it? It's a beautiful gift. When you receive it, you you become enamored with this God as I have. But we just don't just receive it. We actually rest in it. We rest in the reality of our new 
nature. What, what am I saying? You see, when you first believe, when you first receive, one of the things and the, one of the realities of Scripture is that there literally is a transformation of your own heart. You go from not being able to love God to being able to be loved, to, to being able to love God. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, says, <laughs> of course, I'm blanking on it right now, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. When you receive the gift God has given you, when you trust in Christ's life and his death and his resurrection for your justification before God, your right standing, you're united to him and you're made entirely new. And part of this reality is resting in the newness of who you are. You're made new, a new creation with a heart willing and anxious to love God. You're more prone to do that. And one of the things that I think is vitally important in our beloved nature is to rest in that. I can't tell you how many churches and how many Sunday school classes that I've been to where I've just thought, I've got to, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not quite where God wants me to be. I, I, I don't love God enough. And I really want to love God in this, this mentality of working towards something, it, it was a part of me. But you see, the beautiful thing about being loved is that God not only meets a need, but he changes who you are. You're a new creation. You're holy and righteous already. These are the beautiful truths of the gospel, and you are to rest in those beautiful truths. You are holy. You are righteous. When we, when we do CBR, for those of you that don't know, you can pick one up in the back. I want to encourage you to do that. But one of the things that I hope that you do each and every day that you do it is that you rest, that you already are who God wants you to be in Christ. He's not trying to make you someone you're not. And to rest in that. You are beloved of God. So we receive the gift of God in light of our needs, and we rest in that. This is what it means to love God and to be loved. This Christmas, um, a coin dropped for me. I hate to tell you this, but I don't have it all figured out, you know, just so you know that. Um, this church planning endeavor is, is, you know, I'm learning things all the time. And in the last six months, I've really experienced, and it's been a great experience, a lot of humility and just in the sense of like, there's just a lot that I still have to learn. And one of the things on Christmas Day, the coin dropped for me for, in one area, and it has to do with you. But it came because John Mark just sent me just a really nice Merry Christmas, thankful for you, just a, just a very sincere gratitude text for me. And I was deeply touched by it. I, I received his gratitude, and I wanted to express to him in some way my gratitude towards him. But I was tempted at first to say, hey, thank you for serving the church. And I was like, and, and there was a big part of me that felt really selfish in this. I'm like, you know, John Mark is not serving me. 
in the church. And so I don't want to thank him for serving me because that's not why he's serving the church. That's not why you serve the church. You're not serving me. And so I've always found it really hard to say, hey, thank you for serving. I really have. But it hit me when I did this. I said, no, I am thankful for John Mark's friendship. I am thankful for the ways that he has tended to my particular needs. But I'm also thankful for the partnership that he's had in the gospel in this church. And it was the, that's the coin dropping. Being able to distinguish John Mark's relationship from my friend to this gospel partnership. You see, John Mark and I are linked arm in arm. Pursuing the very mission of God. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I am thankful that I have someone like John Mark on my right hand. You know why? Because this is hard. Pursuing the mission of God is incredibly hard work. I don't always want to love God, but I need someone like John Mark to remind me God is worthy of our love. He's good. And in truth, John Mark's not the only one that I'm connected to. I mean, I'm literally looking out and all of you in some way, in some fashion, are linked arm in arm as we pursue the mission of God. And I just want to tell you, thank you for partnering in the gospel with us. What we are doing is more meaningful and significant than any national championship game that a football team will play. What we are about will last in eternity. The things that we pursue, the linking of arms... The knocking down of walls for people is going to make an eternal impact. So what we are doing is so meaningful and significant, but we need each other arm in arm, understanding that we are pursuing the love of God and being loved by God. There is nothing greater in our life. And so to some of you, I say thank you for partnering in the gospel. Thank you for your friendship. I just need your friendship sometimes, but thank you for partnering in the gospel to see the King, the Lord, worshipped. To see our lives change as a result of that. To be loved. To receive his, his, his bread and wine. Thank you. Thank you. To those of you that are still somewhat unsure about where you stand in this church, I, 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 I preach this message so that you have great clarity as to what we are pursuing. We are pursuing the love of God and we are pursuing a community that is loved. Love and be loved. If you want to join arms, I would love that. Because the more people linked arm in arm pursuing this mission, the greater our impact becomes. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we do give you thanks that you have not left us to just do this on our own. No, you have given us a map, a map to pursue, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, would you help us in this endeavor? We know, and what we've been taught from 1 John four nineteen, that if, if we are going to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we first must be loved by you. And so I pray that you would humble us, that we might continue to receive the love that you offer to us. Remind us who we are. May we rest in that. But may we seek to bring glory to your name. Help us in this endeavor. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.